welcome to the Passion Business Podcast, the podcast for free spirits with a big idea who want to turn their passion into a business. I'm Anke Herman and I'm your host. My guest today is the number one international best-selling author of Mass Influence, The Habits of the Highly Influential, which has been on the bestseller list in seven countries over the last six years. A four times international best-selling author, she teaches marketing courses around the globe to business leaders and entrepreneurs on how to create massively successful word-of-mouth campaigns. Welcome, Teresa de Crobois. Hello and welcome, Teresa. I'm absolutely delighted to have you here today. Thank you. It's great to be here. So why don't we just dive, dive straight in, share with people where you're from, where you're based, and what's your business? Uh, well, I'm actually based in Costa Rica, but I'm originally from northern Canada. I'm not just Canadian, but I grew up in the backwoods of northern Canada. <laughs> I, um, I, my passion is, is speaking about influence. Like, I love to help everyday change agents, everyday heroes who are just out to cause positive shift in the world really understand what it takes to create word of mouth epidemics around the work, their work. And so out of that grew many of my other projects that I work on the evolutionary business council, which I founded and the conscious community, which we're developing down here in Costa Rica. That's fascinating on so many levels. I'm like, Ooh, <laughs> is there another episode? I can already tell. Um, so, so obviously I'm, I'm curious you know, what takes a Canadian girl from all up north all the way down to lovely Costa Rica? You know, I would have to say, and I know you'll get this because this is so aligned with what you teach, but it was just like leaning in, you know? I mean, I don't think 20 years ago I could have dreamed as big as my life has become. Like 20 years ago, I couldn't have conceived that someday I would be a four-time number one international bestselling author, that I would speak on huge stages all over the world, that I would have founded an organization whose members collectively reach over half a billion people. Like I couldn't have even conceived of those ideas. Mm. You know, I couldn't even conceive best-selling author at that time, you know, but I remember um, uh, taking a course and reading a book by Janet Atwood. You're probably familiar with her work um, who teaches the passion test. And I love what she talked about, right? She, she talked about anytime you're faced with a choice between two opportunities, choose in favor of the one that lights you up more. And just always lean in to the one that lights you up more and see where you end up in your life. And it's amazing the, the journey that life takes you on when you just lean in the direction of what you're passionate about and what makes you excited, um, how quickly and how rapidly your life will start to flow in the direction of things that you are really, really good at and things that you're really powerful at. Oh, I could not love this more. <laughs> Absolutely. So now I'm curious, did you always know that? Or when you were growing up, did you have a phase where you followed what you thought you should do rather than what lights you up? Oh, absolutely. I like, you know, I, I grew up, Uh, you know, went to university, went to science, because that would be the thing that would get me a job. You know, I, I did a lot of what was expected of me growing up. Um, ironically, I think the seeds of me becoming an expert on influence were sown probably at the age of two, 
when, when I first developed my biggest self-limiting beliefs, right? Like, you know, so many experts are talking about self-limiting beliefs. What I love about the research on self-limiting beliefs is that we're starting to see most human beings develop theirs when they're first learning language. Mine um, all stemmed out of the fact that I'm the youngest of a really big family. My, you know, and, and in a rural setting, my family was my whole world, you know, and I was always getting left behind. I was always having the older kids not want to play with me because, of course, you know, I was the little one running around behind them, right? And so a lot of my negative self-talk, a lot of those first limiting beliefs I came up with were like, I'm too small to play with the big kids. I'm not important. People don't want to be around me. People don't want to listen to me. It was sort of this whole bucket of inner dialogue that youngest children often end up with. And, but, you know, go figure that I should someday grow up to be an expert on influence because the whole conversation of importance became important to me at the age of three. That's, yeah, that's so true. I never even considered that it had something to do with the language learning, but it makes perfect sense. Now, I'm now thinking, well, can you shift your beliefs just by speaking a different language? <laughs> Oh, absolutely. You know, one of the things, one of the exercises we do in the Evolutionary Business Council a lot is inner child work, you know, because there's a lot of leaders in the whole transformational industry, the empowerment industry that talk about, you've really got to meditate and get centered and, and destroy your ego, kill off your ego, right? There's a lot of teachings out there talking about killing off your ego. And I actually think killing your ego is one of the cruelest things you can ever do to yourself, because your ego was invented by a three-year-old version of yourself right? Mm -hmm. So when you kill off your ego, it's like killing off your inner child. What a horrible thing to do, right? So I actually like to reframe that and talk about, no, you just don't want your inner child driving the bus. Like, you, can't, you, don't, <laughs> you, know, you don't want a three-year-old making the decisions in your life, right? So one of the exercises um, I've come up with that is actually convergence of my work and Jennifer Huff's work. Jennifer Huff teaches a lot of um, get out of your own way programs, right? And I call it um, give your inner child a new job description, right? Because <laughs> we all trained our inner children to always be raining, raising the warning signals. Whatever that negative self-talk we came up with when we we're really young, our little three-year-old version of ourself is always in the back of our head going, danger, look out, you know, this is going to make you look bad. Don't do that. They're not going to listen to you. That's going to make you look stupid. And, and it's a three-year-old dialogue running around in the back of your head, right? And so we do an exercise in the Evolutionary Business Council where you actually go inward and talk to your inner child and, and tell your inner child, I call mine Tessie because that was my favorite nickname when I was a little kid, right? So Tessie isn't allowed to be worried about whether adult me can handle things anymore. She's now in charge of fun and cheering me on, you know? So I, you know, she's no longer in the job of ringing the alarm bell. And that actually makes being powerful and moving toward your dreams and doing, you know, hairy, audacious, scary things a lot easier because now it's in the hands of the adult version of you, not in the hands of the three-year-old version of you. Well, that's comforting, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah. So, so I, I'm curious how little Teresa, what was the path? Like, what was it? Where, when was the, you know, I mean, I, I watched your TED talk, right? You know, there's a huge difference between little Teresa who was like, boy, I'm the little one here and nobody wants to kind of, you know, to 
that woman I saw on that TEDx stage, well, on video, but I did see you. So, you know, like, what were the steps to get there? Yeah. Well, I think, like most human beings, and research shows this now, when when we have a dominant negative self-belief, and most human beings do, right? Um, we, We tend to do one of two things. We spend all our time desperately terrified it's true or desperately trying to prove it's not. So, so at the age of three, <laughs> I started desperately trying to prove that I was not too small to play with the big kids. So, you know, I put on a lot of bluster and I started behaving way above my age. I became an overachiever. Um, I started actually really paying attention to what had people get listened to. You know, I actually started really paying attention to what makes people influential. It was actually a passion of mine. And I started mimicking people who were important or who were influential. I didn't actually realize I was learning a skill set at the time. And in fact, anytime I met someone influential, I would start striking up conversation and asking them advice and finding out, how did you get where you are? You know, to the point where, you know, 25 years later, I had actually leaned in the direction of always choosing roles, always choosing jobs, always choosing promotions that would bring more influence and importance to me because I was always trying to feed that negative self-talk, right? The interesting thing, though, is in doing it that way, it's sort of like throwing sand in a sieve. You never actually heal the negative self-talk. You're just feeding it, right? And... um, you know, there came a point like happens to a lot of people. I had what I now affectionately call my really bad year, right? A lot of us have one of those years, right? In, in my case, it looked like my father had passed away, my marriage had ended, my business had failed, and my health was in a tailspin all in the first six months of that year. And I remember there was a moment I was sitting in the bathroom of my new post-marriage breakup condo, like I had bought a new condo. And I, I've always been a renovator. So this bathroom was going to be my next project. I'm just surrounded by tools sitting in this bathroom. And I'm literally bawling my eyes out because I can't remember the last time I was happy. Like I, I've got all the outwards trappings of success. I've got, you know, the nice place to live, the beautiful car, two kids, uh, six-figure income. And I can't look back on my life and remember the last time I really felt fulfilled and happy. And it was one of those beautiful moments where the light bulb went off. And I just thought, it's me that needs renovating. Mm. It's me. And in that moment, I make the commitment to myself that I'm going to be my next next project instead of the bathroom. (laughs) And so... I start doing every self-help course under the sun. I start doing way more yoga and meditation. I get my diet under control. And rather rapidly, my life starts to change very significantly. Like then I really start to lean into the direction of things I love. And, you know, two years later, I wouldn't have recognized myself. I quit my job, was in a whole new business, a whole new brand, you know, and um, I've never really looked back because it's at the point where we realize it's not enough to just let your inner dialogue motivate you. You've actually got to make peace with that wounded two-year-old version of yourself that created those self-limiting beliefs to actually start to get really powerful in life. Yeah, that makes that makes so much sense. And I think 
yeah, so many, so many people sort of carry that around and allow it from the show all, all their lives. Yeah, that's so. What was the business you you started then? Well, initially, when I leaned in, I actually started a charity to build schools in Africa. I wrote three children's books to help me raise money for the charity. I quickly put all three books on the bestseller list. And then that quickly taught me two things. First, I didn't love running a charity. <laughs> I actually hated it. Second, I didn't love being a children's author. I mean, I, I enjoyed writing the books, but going around to schools and doing kids programs wasn't really lighting me up. But in the same period, I started having people coming at me in droves saying, three bestsellers in eight months and all of them number one. How did you do that? And would you show me how? And it's sort of like, you know how fish don't know what water is? We often don't know what we're really, really good at until other people start pointing it out to us, right? And and creating word word of mouth epidemic and, and influence was actually one of my superpowers and I wasn't aware of it, you know? And so I started teaching and mentoring people and And within a few months of starting that, I realized, ah, this is what I should be doing. This is the thing that really lights me up. And, and, you know, I rebranded myself overnight and I've never looked back. It was actually um, one of the best shifts I've ever made. And everything else has stemmed from that decision. Mm. That's, it's a powerful moment because it's so true. Like it's, I guess if it's probably one of the one of the qualities of the superpower that you don't know about it, right? Mm. So I think it does make it does make sense. And knowing what it is and really sort of stepping into that, it's um, yeah. No, I the the main thing that struck me from watching your TED talk was how beautiful it actually was to, you know, it, like literally the one thing that the, the core message that stuck with me was to get influence, you need to give influence, like mm. create a stage for other people. And you did it beautifully in the talk itself, mm. right? So, and mm. I think, yeah, I'd love you to kind of go a little deeper into that. Like how yeah. did you discover that that was really the key to it rather than, ooh, how can I make myself more important kind of thing to literally yeah. put the light onto somebody else? That's actually the, 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 the big secret to it. Yeah. A lot of people think influence is hard until they realize that it's not like it's, it's just, it's a major paradigm shift. A lot of us have. Right. And um, when you look at influential people, influence is a lot like breathing, right? Like, and I know there's some of that you out there going, oh, like, where you want me to learn a new skill? Where am I going to find the time? And, you know, there was a time you had to learn how to breathe, you know, like you came out of that beautiful, warm womb, somebody whacked you on the back, you cried for a moment, and then you mastered the skill of breathing. And then by and large, you never really thought about breathing again, you know, you never went through your day saying, oh, I got to breathe 24 seven, where am I going to find the time? (laughs) You know, that just didn't happen. And in fact, until maybe someone introduced you to the notion that there is an advanced level of breathing, like maybe you started doing yoga or Qigong or a martial art, and you started realizing, oh, there actually is an advanced conversation around breathing. But in general, you don't go through your day thinking, where am I going to find the time to breathe? And influence is a lot like that, right? Once you have the paradigm shift and understand how influence works, you just naturally move through your day 
doing the habits that influential people do. And that was the main reason I wrote my book, Mass Influence, because I wanted everyday heroes that are out to create change in the world to really start to understand that becoming influential is not only important, but it's also very easy once you understand the paradigm of how you operate, right? Yeah, that's that's so interesting, right? Because I'm, you know, when you were saying that like ordinary people can be really influential, and I think it's um, it's a lot about being heard and about getting their gift out into the world. And I see it a lot when people start their own business and they're, you know, like I'm a freshly trained coach now, and yeah. there is the sense of yelling in a vacuum you know, especially in the online space. Yeah. So where they feel that, well, I have zero influence. <laughs> yeah. So, so what and, would and you, I, I love that analogy, kind of, yelling in a vacuum. Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. Like you couldn't have put it better. Yelling in a vacuum is how so many people feel because they're trying to promote themselves, mm-hmm. right? And and so, of course, the first pillar of creating change is really, is to start to understand influence and how influence works. And that is you can't make yourself influential. You can't make yourself famous. You can only give influence to other people and they can give it back to you, right? And and it's not about being inauthentic and just like shouting out or praising anyone for the sake of praising. You got to find people that you really respect and admire and shine a light on their work. You know, like you you can be choosy about who you develop relationships with. Like, Anka, I would come on your show any day of the week. I love everything you teach. It's so in alignment with what I teach. Uh, Like, I am thrilled to shout your show from the rooftops, you know. And yet there are shows out there that invite me to come on. And I'm like, ooh, no, I'm busy, (laughs) you know, (laughs) because I don't want to come on someone's show where I can't legitimately shout out like, oh, I'm so excited. I'm on Olga Herman's show. And I put it all over my my social media because I love your work so much, right? And so I think when you start to realize it's all about that reciprocity, right? Mm -hmm. I love Dr. Shonda Perrin's term around that, the cycle of reciprocity she talks about. Influential people do it a little more powerfully than the average person. They really give each other attention and give each other influence. And that's how their influence grows. It's really that simple. Mm. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And see, the thing that I've seen is that the reciprocity is not always 100% predictable, right? Mm. So I've got this, I've got this book title that's been floating in my mind this book's going to be written at one point but it's like it's basically saying don't try and control the ripples just throw the stone yes right because oh, i have I love it. so many stories right where where i've done things that didn't seem to make much sense on the surface right so where yeah. it was like oh it wasn't one of those oh you must be productive you know, do money-making activities kind of thing. It was like, yeah. oh, no, I flew to the UK for a 12-minute talk. Yeah. You know, little, because it's like, you know, I like it's just like myself. So it, I didn't realize and I couldn't predict that three years later, I'd be hired by one of the other speakers, right? You know, so in the end, there was a money-making activity, but you can't control that. You know, I love I think- that analogy too. Don't try and control the ripples mm-hmm. that's, brilliant, you know? And I think when we try and overly control stuff, that's our inner dialogue. That's our inner Mm -hmm. child feeling insecure that we can't trust that there'll be a good outcome, right? Because 
you know, one of the things I talk about in my book a lot, one of the things we talk about in the Evolutionary Business Council a lot is a lot of us start with a very young paradigm that we learned back in the sandbox, you know, like I do this for you and you do that for me, this sort of tit for tat thinking, right? And then we grow up in business and we learn things like it's a good idea to offer to buy a colleague a coffee, you know, which works really well in, in like networking and referral marketing. And, but let's just call that basketball. And now we're playing hockey, the game of high influence, right? And suddenly the same rules don't apply, right? Like you only have to phone up the head of a, uh, the, the CEO of a Fortune 500 company and faster than you can say gatekeeper, you're going <laughs> to learn that there are people that offering to buy them a coffee is the wrong thing to do, right? And, um, and so really learning to trust your intuition and realize that especially when there's a big disparity in influence levels, I do this for you and you do that for me doesn't work anymore. So you have to dance and trust to a certain extent that let me just play with reciprocity and let me go a little bit over here, a little bit over here, a little bit over here and trust that energy is going to start coming back to me and I might not know where it's coming from. Right. That's what I mean. So I love the way you talk about that. Can't control the ripples. I'm going to have to quote you on that one. That's just brilliant. (laughs) Because I've seen, I mean, I've just seen it so many times, you know, then I have so many stories and from other people, but I mean, even just my own stories, I have so many where, you know, that's why I keep saying, oh, well, I keep saying it and, got to write a book about it you know it's it's literally because it happens so often but you have like dance with the trust that's that's really the thing you know Mm -hmm. so what's your favorite story of somebody who kind of started out not having much influence and then got it and things changed so what's your favorite story gosh I have so many I love that question you know um I think one of my favorites is um, Angel Ribo. And um, he's actually one of our beloved EBC members has actually been on the board of directors for the EBC. And um, he started out almost as a newbie. He had, he had been, you know, he was a business expert, right. And well-respected in corporate America as, as a business consultant and business expert. Um, but he didn't have the kind of numbers to be seen as highly influential in his field, you know, And um, I remember speaking with him one day and I said, you know, you're fully bilingual. Why don't you dance around and like doing podcasts or, you know, see what you can create, not only in the English speaking world, in the Spanish speaking world. And um, he ended up um, just leaning in with inquiries like, oh, what's possible? What's possible? Connecting with Mindalia TV, which is a huge YouTube channel. They asked him to open up a channel with a Spanish speaking business show. (laughs) And within two months, he had a million followers, right? Two months. I was just like, whoa, how did that happen? You know, but it was just one of those. He just went into inquiry as to like, what's next? What makes sense? Who should I meet? We started connecting him with people so he could be in the inquiry. And within a really short period of time, his message and his show just so caught on. He ended up being in an area where there was just a void. Like no one was talking about what he was talking about. And he was in front of an audience that was just hungry for what he wanted. And his show just went boom, you know? And I see so many examples of that in the Evolutionary Business Council, you know? 
that people, once they get it, if they just start going in an inquiry and looking at where can I be of greatest service? That's such a powerful question to ask. Where can I be of greatest service? And when you just start leaning toward that and really being open to the influence, it's amazing the miracles that can happen. Mm, yeah, that's that's beautiful. And it reminds me of, um, there's a TED talk by a lady called Barbara Sher, And she mm. says that, isolation is the dream pillar not your attitude so it really speaks to that like to speak out into the room what it is you're creating and trusting that there will be somebody who knows yeah. something or somebody to you know to help you help you make yeah. it happen and that really feels to me very close to to where you're coming from with all of this right yeah Women especially are really good at the influence pillar once they get the paradigm of it. Mm. You know, once they understand it's all about reciprocity, women are like, oh, I'm hardwired for that. You know, let me just go out and help people and I'll become influential. It's often when we come to the second pillar of creating change that men are awesome at it and women struggle. And I don't mean to generalize because there are lots of women who are awesome at the second and men who are, but in general, from a hardwiring perspective, when we look at the differences between the sexes and how we tend to approach things, you know, because the second pillar then is all about money and profit, mm -hmm. right? And, and it's interesting because a lot of people that are hardwired to really want to create change in the world, to really want to go out and make a difference for others. And they're really passionate about doing something new and doing something different. A lot of them have an inner dialogue and it's also a very young inner dialogue that I should just want to help people and I should do it for free. And then, you know, and then they quickly, like they roll over themselves. Like the momentum they create almost becomes a steamroller that squashes their idea because They don't have the financial backing and the money to actually make it work. And, you know, a very common inner dialogue people have around money is like money is the root of all evil. Or if I want to pursue money in the pursuit of doing good, that that's somehow an oxymoron and it's a bad thing. And, and so just notice if you've got a lot of self-limiting beliefs around that, because when you look at the people who are really powerful at creating change, Like, look at Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa is a classic example, right? She raised hundreds of millions of dollars for her not-for-profit business through her influence. Hundreds of millions of dollars for her not-for-profit business, right? And so when you look at it, whatever your mission is, and I'm not advocating that you should be not-for-profit because often those are very difficult structures, But whether you're not-for-profit or a philanthropic business or somebody who's really out to create change in the world, when you start to get really intentional about learning the skills of influence and learning the skills of profit and actually marrying those two together, then the third pillar, impact, where you're actually causing different outcomes in people's lives and they're actually taking action around what it is you stand for, that's when massive change is really possible. Yeah, that makes so much sense. And I think you've just really hit the nail on, on a huge problem that I see in the, in the coaching, you know, the helper space. You know, they're mm -hmm. your coaches, they're your helpers, they're your therapists. They, I want to help people. And there is that sense of I'd rather be a good person than make a lot of money, mm -hmm. right, as yeah. if that flies in the face of, of um, 
helping people. Yeah. And who created that as an either or mm-hmm. like, why exactly. can't I be a good person and make a lot of money? You know, mm-hmm. like we have scholarship programs in the evolutionary business council. Um, you know, we, we gift out scholarships in developing countries. We do a lot of philanthropy and a lot of stuff that isn't necessarily in alignment with profit, but that engine for profit's got to be there. Right. Because otherwise you cease to exist as an organization, right? So until you really get all three of those pillars working powerfully together, you're going to do little fits and starts, right? Like, Mm -hmm. like maybe you'll do like, and there's some people who are awesome at profit, but then they're not quite sure how to make the influence work, right? Like, like sometimes the profits flying in the face of influence and there's other people that are awesome at influence, but they're not quite sure how to bring the profit side in, right? And it's sort of like the juggler, right? Mm-hmm. Like once the juggler learns how to use both hands and get everything working in this beautiful dance, it's like, wow, look how powerful that is, right? But but it's a matter of really understanding that there is more than one skill set here. It's kind of like a university degree, right? You got to master more than one thing to become an expert in what you want to create in the world. It's a lot like that. And there's there's parallel skill sets that need to be mastered here. Yes. And I'm glad you say that because <laughs> that's also something, right, that you often see. It's like, oh, learn Spanish in 30 days. Well, good luck with that. You know, there's a lot more to it. And building a business is not just putting together a lead magnet, right? So it's, mm-hmm. it's, you know, I guess it's more complex than it seems, but also nobody says it has to be done all at once, right? Yes. And it, can't, yeah. it doesn't have to be mastered all at once. But talking about mastery, how can people get access to your mastery how can people get in touch with you i love it um well we're celebrating the fact that mass influence my book has now been on the bestseller lists for almost seven years we're in we're in the um sixth anniversary year so we're now giving the digital version of my book away for free um so if you come to massinfluencethebook.com, a good next step is sign up for the 30-day influence challenge it's basically just little Two-minute exercises. You can either watch them on video or we send them to you in text. You can do one or the other. Um, And they're just little two-minute exercises you do every day. And you learn influence by doing the habits of influential people. It's really that simple. And so when you go to Mass Influence the Book and sign up for that, we also give you the links, you know, to Kindle and Kobo and wherever you want to download the digital version of the book for free. Or if you prefer to buy the, the Audible or whatever, those links are there as well. And then if you're interested in finding out more about the Evolutionary Business Council, we are an invitation-only council in that you do have to be sponsored in by an existing member. We do that because there are a lot of people who think highly influential people are a great group to market to. Like there's a lot of people that run multi-level <laughs> marketing businesses who think you know a bunch of influential people make a great downline. We do not want those people coming into our organization. So we create a ring fence around the organization to protect the people who are in. But if you are up to um, creating change in the world, you run a business or you have a product that is really paradigm shifting for how people live their lives, um, then we want you in the EBC. So we do do um, enrollment calls once a month that you can find out more about the EBC. So um, feel free to come to ebcouncil.com. And just click on the apply link and we'll show you how to come to the next call to find out more. We will find you a sponsor if you're a good fit for our organization. Um, so if you think the EBC is something that might spark you up, just come check us out because life's too short 
to sit floundering around pursuing your dream of really making a difference in the world. I love that. I love that. That's such a beautiful landing. Thank you so much for coming. It was an absolute delight and so much hope and possibility comes across. Like it, yes, you need to learn things and you need to shift, but it seems so achievable. Right. And I, I just really love that. Thank you. It really is. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. Anka. It's just been a joy to be here today. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, please subscribe and leave a review to help others find it. If you are a coach, speaker or author, a passionate big picture thinker with a vision and you want to build an online business to reach and impact more people, go to passionbusinesspodcast.com and download a free copy of my book, Taming the Tech Monster. And join my free community, Don't Just Learn, Create, business building for mavericks to connect with others on the same path. That's passionbusinesspodcast.com. I'll speak to you soon.